is the Emergency Medical Minute. The flu season, <clears throat> so I thought it'd be uh, relevant to uh, yeah. talk a little bit about <clears throat> which patients we do an evaluation uh, for flu, specifically testing, uh, which patients get uh, screening chest x-ray, uh, and then uh, a little bit uh, of the background on uh, why we make those decisions. So. Obviously, everyone knows sort of the classic presentation of influenza, uh, but we also recognize that in certain uh, subgroups of patients, the influenza uh, can be more serious. So traditionally, what are those patients that are considered higher risk? So underlying lung disease, including asthma, but COPD certainly uh, would be a high-risk category. Immunocompromised. Immunocompromised patients, right? Patients at extremes of age, so less than two or greater than 65. And then, uh, you know, obviously we talked about sort of pulmonary or immunocompromised, like diabetics. Uh, those, I would say, would be the especially high risk. But, you know, if you read the CDC guidelines, it's people with underlying uh, cardiac disease, underlying renal disease, and underlying neurologic disease as well. So that becomes relevant because those are the patients that are at higher risk for complications. I mean, in general, we see sort of uh, morbid illness in uh, here in our setting in uh, elderly patients or with those risk factors. But you have to recognize that historically, flu has been at times uh, punctuated by periods of uh, uh, pandemic uh, with really high morbidity and mortality. Uh, you know, in a typical year, it's something like 20,000 uh, uh, people in the United States every flu season uh, at those high-risk categories, but in 1918, there was the Spanish flu, uh, which was an H1N1, which is, you know, something that we see uh, commonly. Uh, that worldwide had 30 to 50 million deaths, and just in the United States had 500,000 deaths, so 25 times uh, what we would see in an, in an average year, and most of those uh, patients were actually aged 19 to 35. So, you know, even during our medical careers, we've seen episodes where, like 2009 and 10, uh, where H1N1, the so-called swine flu, uh, where because of some genetic variation, uh, it was punctuated by higher morbidity and mortality. Um, so obviously, moving forward, the, those types of things uh, uh, are potential issues. So a little more about uh, this, this year. So uh, as far as uh, screening testing, uh, Generally, in our setting, we do the RT-PCR, uh, which is not an antigen. It's actually an RNA-based uh, test. Um, PCR is polymerase chain reaction. It looks for the RNA specific to influenza, uh, so it's considered both sensitive and specific, uh, which is a significant advance even over the last few years uh, where the antigenic test had low sensitivity. So we really have the benefit of knowing whether our patients in our setting here have influenza A or B uh, or neither. Uh, as far as uh, the workup, comorbidities uh, dictate whether or not a patient should get that screening test. So if they're in a higher risk for complications, like those uh, ages, pregnancy, I forgot to mention, but pregnancy, uh, those underlying medical conditions, they generally should get the testing uh, because then we would change uh, the disposition and treatment plan. Um, as far as uh, uh, a chest x-ray, if uh, those higher risk patients have respiratory symptoms, uh, which they often do have, a chest x-ray is indicated, 
the morbidity from flu uh, largely comes from you know, either the sepsis syndrome or an associated complicating bacterial pneumonia uh, and sepsis, severe sepsis or septic shock. As far as treatment, uh, what are the treatments that you see? Uh, so almost exclusively we're using Tamiflu, but what's the other one? Relenza. So both of those are neuramidase inhibitors. Actually, there's lower resistance to Relenza. Historically, we haven't used it. Do you know why? Actually, similar cost. Um, you know, it's it's given as an uh, oral uh, as an inhalation powder. Uh, it comes with like five blisters uh, in a packet. Uh, it's relatively convenient dosing. Uh, if people have underlying respiratory illness, uh, there's been associated uh, respiratory complications from the administration of the powder, uh, including death. Uh, so it's contraindicated in people who have uh, underlying respiratory illness like COPD. Uh, but I've actually seen some guidance to say that that should be first-line treatment because of emerging resistance uh, to aseltamivir, which is uh, the Tamiflu. As far as, uh, I mean, we all know that sort of for relatively healthy patients, it doesn't make a big difference in terms of treatment. Uh, you've heard, you know, maybe that it doesn't even make any difference. What, what, what's the data? I mean, as far as prognosis, it ends up that for higher risk patients, it lowers uh, illness uh, duration by about two and a half days. Uh, and it's generally thought to uh, decrease the uh, complications uh, and severity of the hospitalization. Uh, as far as lower risk patients, uh, it's one and a half days. Um, as far as cost, I mean, is it prohibitively costly? Is it costly, mildly costly? So, yeah, uh, I mean, compared to uh, just like a standard course of amoxicillin, uh, which, you know, even if you're paying out of pocket, uh, you know, I just looked it up on uh, my good RX app, that's seven or eight dollars in pharmacies. Uh, Things like Relenza or Tamiflu, it's about 50 bucks uh, if you're paying out of pocket. Obviously, with insurance, it's just sort of the copay. So it's relatively expensive, depending on you know people's resources, um, but it's not prohibitively expensive. So hopefully, that gives you a sense of sort of the types of people uh, we test uh, for uh, things like pneumonia, the types of people we test to confirm the diagnosis, and sort of the benefit and costs of uh, initiating treatment. Cool. Anyone have any questions? Exciting stuff. Emergency Medical Minute is and always will be about free medical education. Medicine's most prolific podcast is successful because of our supporters, donors, and of course, our listeners. Please like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. And if you support spreading free medical education, please donate at our website, emergencymedicalminute.com. As always, keep listening.